Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new Exodus for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me staring right into the heart of the dragon on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. It's another Marvel Fanfare Friday here, and we're going to be taking a special journey straight to Kunlun as we have an all-Iron Fist episode. We're going to kick things off with taking a look at Iron Fist number one, written by Alyssa Wong, with art by Michael Yeag, and covered by Jim Chang before having the honor of talking to Alyssa herself in conversation about the issue, her career, and more. Now, before we get into this issue, I do want to point out that listeners may want to check out X's for Podcast 276 and our coverage of Death of Doctor Strange White Fox. The issue not only comes up a lot in both the review of Iron Fist and the discussion with Alyssa, but it has some very clear implications for this story, and it may be helpful background, although we definitely agree that Iron Fist was written in such a way that even though it does act as kind of a prequel, it definitely reads pretty well on its own. However, you might want to know more about Iron Fist's recent runs, and without getting too far into the character's history, as it does go way back into the 70s, Iron Fist has had a pretty interesting and storied career since about 2007, when Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, and David Aja came on and relaunched the character with Immortal Iron Fist. Now, this spun out of the pages of Daredevil. Daredevil went to jail for a little bit, Devil in Cell Block D, it was a big deal, and while that was going on, Iron Fist was running around around as Daredevil. Following that in the pages of Civil War, Iron Fist found himself a new center and a decision to want to be a hero again. So in Civil War Choosing Sides, Danny made the decision to become the immortal Iron Fist, like a superhero of himself. And we got the Immortal Iron Fist, which ran 27 issues and a number of incredible one-shots. Now that initial trio of Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, and David Aja would leave, and Dwayne Swierzynski and Travel Foreman would take over before relaunching the title as the Immortal Weapons for a five-issue special. Following that, Fred Van Lente was part of a Power Man and Iron Fist reboot, which also got mentioned here as part of the Shadowland event. This saw a younger Power Man come into play, and he's a pretty cool character, and it was pretty exciting. From there, Kara Andrews did a very daring 12-issue series with Iron Fist, The Living Weapon 1 through 12. This was a really stunning, stylized maxi, and it really kind of fits in a weird place in canon and really interesting that they followed it up with 2015's relaunch of Iron Fist, which ran seven issues before being renumbered for 73 through 80. Ultimately, Power Man and Iron Fist would get their return to being a team-up in a 15-issue series by David Walker and Sanford Green before the discussed Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon 1 through 6 by Larry Hama and David Watcher came out. Of course, in this time, there were still Heroes for Hire and Defenders and Avengers Adventures for Iron Fist, as well as countless appearances in other titles. But if you wanted to take a look at some books with the name Iron Fist up front, those might be some places you could get started. We hope you guys enjoy this coverage just as much as we enjoyed doing this, and that you stick around for the amazing interview featuring Alyssa after this. Don't forget, you could also check us out over on Twitter at X is for Podcast. That's X is for Podcast. (laughs) 
Hey everybody, welcome back to Exorcist Podcast, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and new Iron Fists, week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me tracing the narrative from Death of Doctor Strange directly to Iron Fist over on Twitter at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me on Twitter, fisting my way through the internet. I mean, iron fisting my way through the internet. (laughs) Dazzler AOA. Hi everyone, this is Tori Sheehan. I don't have a pun today, but you can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SM Tori. That's Tori with an I. Hey everybody, it's TK. You can find me dealing with the incredible pain in my hands, but it's just arthritis from old age on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And I'm Jonah. <laughs> and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P E A K. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike those demons searching for those crystals that are embedded in this guy's hands that are making them hurt. And it's not arthritis. Sorry, TK. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm glad for Lean Lie that it's not arthritis. Well, am I glad for him that it's not arthritis? I guess that's really a tough one. Would you rather have arthritis or mystical shards of sword buried in your hand? Well, I, I mean, feel- the mystical shards could go away. Shards I, yeah, I, feel- away. I was going to say, there's far more magic doctors than there are arthritis <laughs> Like prescriptions, I guess. <laughs> and you know, there's a real irony in uh, Le- iron fisting. Hands. There's a real irony in Leanne's hands getting damaged in a Doctor Strange book. Oh, yeah, Ooh. about damaged hands. Wow, and right? damaged goods. Uh, so and then yeah, and then he takes a Bucky fall. Like it's all good. Oh, it's a super Bucky fall. It's a super Bucky fall. Oh my god. <laughs> so we're here today to talk about Iron Fist number one, but it's kind of hard to talk about Iron Fist number one without first talking again about Death of Doctor Strange, White Fox, written by Alyssa Wong, with art by Andy Tong and Luciano Vecchio, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And from there, we're going to segue into the breathtaking brand new Iron Fist number one, also written by Alyssa Wong, with art by Michael Yeeg, colors by J. David Ramos, letters again by VCs Travis Lanham. But it's sort of impossible to talk about a Jim Chang book without like acknowledging he was on the cover, thus setting the tone for what everybody thinks the inside is going to look like you know we spent i think 20 years saying that marvel house style was jrjr but at some point marvel house style segued to this like dodson chang imminent moment and i feel like when chang's on the cover it completely elevates the contents of the book instantly there's something about looking at a jim chang cover where you're like oh nope this is the shit how do you guys feel about starting this off in a place where like we all came in thinking we were reading iron fist and don't get me wrong many of us were on the death of dr strange white Fox issue, but I don't know that I personally expected to like. I, I was definitely taken aback that I was like, "Oh my god, this is part two to a book I didn't realize was getting a part two How did you guys feel about the sudden? Oh man, there's actual continuity to worry about. I loved it. I wasn't expecting it. I thought we were going to get like a completely new character as Iron Fist and like have to like learn a whole new backstory, a whole new biography. And I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I know where the story picked off." So like, I'm ready for this. Yes, and like, I'd love to see this sort of tie into that white fox and i'd love to see Alyssa bring white fox in i'd love to see Alyssa bring all of those characters that she's so great at writing already i love it because it's got a larger place already than i thought it was going to in the mythos nico when you and i were talking about it i said Alyssa wong is a great writer but she's especially a really great comics writer she knows when to take risks and do those things that are kind of central to comic book culture and reading you know when you balance and weigh the balance 
balance of like who's going to be reading this book and it's their first Iron Fist book, who's going to have read The Death of Doctor Strange White Fox, playing around with what you can get away with and what you can expect readers to know going in and also get access to if they don't know it. Those things are what's fun about comic books. I had happened to have read The White Fox kind of on a whim doing all the Doctor Strange coverage and I was just interested in what was going on, but I wasn't planning on it originally. That's a really recent, super easy to acquire issue. So if you're reading this and sort of wondering what's going on, it is very easy to find out, oh, it's just this one issue of Death of Doctor Strange. I'll go grab it. I'm very impressed with how she utilizes the medium as a whole. This helped to sort of give us a little bit of extra oomph in the story, in this origin story for the new Iron Fist. For me, coming in not knowing anything, I felt that, yes, reading White Fox first was super helpful, but at the same time, I felt that they did a very deft job of showing what you needed to know inside of the pages of Iron Fist 1. You can do this jumping on point here without needing the background issue of White Fox, which also did a very good job of summarizing what the heck is going on in that one. So like, I do want to give some major props to these folks for doing their their backstory work on this. And I'm very excited to see what this character can do with this set of, with this new set of powers, because they're already a hereditary hero from their sword. And now they're putting on another legacy title onto themselves. I'm not the biggest Danny Rand fan. Nothing personally against this character or anything that he's done stands for incarnation, everything about it. Just not a character that's really for me. I don't really have a lot of interest in Danny Rand. I feel, unfortunately, he's part of an archetype that's just so overly saturated that I've never really found anything about Danny that made him stand out comparatively to the other characters that fill those similar roles that he does. And I've enjoyed other characters more. I was really excited to see a continuation of a story that I really enjoyed and a character that made a pretty good impact that I was really excited to see more of. And so going into this and reading this issue, I was really excited to see what was going to come out of this issue and what's going to happen next. Normally when Nico pulls me onto things, it's because there's a major lady character involved. And so when he told me to read White Fox, I was like, aw, sweet. This Fox lady is going to be the new Iron Fist. And I was wrong. I'm so glad you brought up the identity of the new Iron Fist because the identity of this character is so central to understanding what Marvel's trying to accomplish here. Now, we're here to talk a little bit about, I guess, Swordmaster. Now, not the creepy Swordmaster who would clearly hit on his stepdaughter's teenage friends, boy or girl, doesn't really care, he likes some femme, over on Hawkeye. No, no, not that Swordmaster. We're here to talk about the didn't really intersect with fandom Swordmaster that was created by Marvel just a few years ago. Marvel had recognized the potentiality of the the expansion into Eastern markets, and Marvel put together an initiative to create a number of new characters, and those characters would become Swordmaster and Arrow. These characters were meant to be created with the cultural heritage of Chinese folklore in mind. Swordmaster was created by creators that we couldn't find too much information on. Now, this was done in a collaboration between Marvel Comics and NetEase, and the writer is known as Shizu, and the artist is Gunji, and I apologize so much for horribly butchering those names.
names. I look forward to anybody who is willing to help me learn how to pronounce these names. However, it is of note that Gunji is responsible for one of the variants of Iron Fist Number 1 released this past month. So it is interesting to see these creators still working on these titles. Now, these creators initially created these titles over in China, where they actually had different titles. The original title of Swordmaster was Warrior of Three Sovereigns, and the original title of Arrow was Cyclone. And when they were brought over to the US, they were name adapted, as well as additional creators came on and sort of helped co-write and massage and revise the material a bit into the form that it's in now. These characters would go on to appear in things like the Agents of Atlas, which, I don't know, it's broken my heart a thousand times. And Nathan, I know we've talked about it here and there, but the Agents of Atlas, the second generation of Agents of Atlas, not the super awesome time-displaced Atlas-era characters, but the revisioned Jimmy Woo-led Asian and Pacific Islander dream team with so many fucking hot guys. Mm. Holy shit. Um, But this team just never seems to really get its fair shake. I don't know any of these people. I guess I have to remember that there are like 40 other titles beyond like the top five or I guess seven because Wolverine always has three titles that there are in Marvel. And so for me to see this team of just like all Asian and Pacific Islands and like great characters and I'm just like, I don't know any of these, like even close. We talk about teams like the Avengers, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, all based out of New York, all they'll go international for a mission. But, you know, so like the big crossover that we have right now, Devil's Reign is all in Manhattan. Agents of Atlas, I thought was just baseline necessary. You know, the idea that you would have a team of people from another continent that were dealing with threats that would affect an enormous population of the rest of the world. It's one of those things that I understand that finances, sales, popularity have to come into play and it's not reasonable to expect that they wouldn't. I just wish cultural and reader consciousness was more in line with saying we need these books because we like we want to represent the entire world and we want to represent not just threats in New York, but threats throughout the country, threats threats throughout the various continents on this planet. The Agents of Atlas, like I love the legacy use of the title because it, it morphed from what it was to what it is now. I love that we are seeing Marvel take more of a measured approach and actually getting more representation of different cultures out there in our readings. Like guys, I love that we're actually seeing things explored and we're getting more diverse creators in from more diverse backgrounds. I'd love to see that expanded and I'd love to see the push put on those characters as much as say on a Thor or a Captain Marvel or a Captain America just because it would be really great to see those characters take off in the same way and we know that a lot of times it does take that marketing device behind a character to get them to get into the public zeitgeist in the same way that like Thor or Captain America or Iron Man etc etc have. I mean I've made the argument a bunch of times that the only reason Deadpool worked was because they just let him work over time, right? But to jump to a character who they clearly really are trying to make work. When I revisited White Fox for Elements of Swordmaster's story, one of the things I noticed right away was he is playing a very secondary role right off the bat. He's like, oh... I'm here to support you, White Fox. And she's like, okay, cool. And so then she's like, man, I'm such a fast fox lady. Look at me run. And he's like, swords are heavy. I wish I had superpowers without swords. And she's like, haha. And so like, there's already a 
bunch of shit in there that makes me feel really good about this transition. But there's a layer that kind of hit me on an emotional level on some to some extent, to some degree. I feel as though the lack of appreciation for the Atlas characters has to do a bit with the timing. Unfortunately, so much of the comics industry went, you know, dick side down the daisy right around the pandemic. And then there was a much more unbelievable fallout beyond that. Now we're seeing the success of incredible characters like Shang-Chi, who we love covering on this show. But in so many ways, Marvel was unable to sustain the attention they were paying to this incredible Asian and Pacific Islander initiative. And there's a statement in White Fox about how Swordmaster has failed. And that is why his sword is shattered. And there is sort of a metaphor for me, or at least an, an analogous relationship between the destruction of the sword as a representation of this version of that idea failed, but this character is still a real tangible thing that has connected with people and there's something palpable there and we're going to literally embed his history into his future and take him from this outside force a different form of magic and make him part of one of the more traditional forms of Marvel magic and not just reclaim this character Lian, but reclaim Iron Fist from white appropriation there's sort of a sense of beautiful rebirth that I think is a metacontextual level that Alyssa Wong was able to seed throughout this sort of dyad of these two books. During the White Fox issue of Death of Doctor Strange, Lien had a lot of backstory written into him already, even though he's playing a secondary role. Something I learned, because I play a lot of tabletop role-playing games, when it comes to character creation, when you are a player, one of the, when you want to create a really fleshed-out character and give your DM a lot to work with with your character, and it's called knives, and you're giving your DM knives to kind of stab you with. And the these are important things to your character. So if you look at Lien, he has his brother and his father disappeared. He has this duty and responsibility to make sure that this oh, demon doesn't take over the world. He is a part of Agents of Atlas. He's a part of this group and setting. And what does that mean of his responsibilities when it comes to the world at large with being part of this team? There's a lot of things that were set up and can be used to basically stab him. And some of them literally did. As you said, they're embedded in his arms. And that's how you know you have a lot to really work with for uh, and set up for characters. You want to put them in scenarios where these things that are meant to define them, these things that are shaped them, are used against them in ways. And how do they deal with those scenarios? So I was really appreciative of a character that got a lot of story, even if they were taking a secondary role to the main character, we get to see those knives again. <laughs> and I was really appreciative of the through line and this continued characterization of how does Leanne deal with being stabbed? I think that's a really interesting way to sort of frame where what his background is. And it's also really fun because there's so much history in Iron Fist lore in the past for the concept of an Iron Fist that is in no way attached to Lean. And when you overlap those two, when you have him bringing all of his baggage into a setting that has plenty of its own baggage and is tied to another character that, you know, especially from a reader perspective, Danny can do whatever he wants now, but really it's important that he not be Iron Fist. So to bring all that stuff together, the opportunities for tension and for ways for these plots to blend and for elements from Lean's past to come into Kunlun. It's, you know, again, it's just Alyssa Wong knows how to write comics. 
Yeah, if there's anybody I trust to traverse all of those stories and to, especially with the Swordmaster character or, or Iron Fist now, and to bring in some of the other characters that, like, we know and love from her so well, like, I, I trust Alyssa Wong to do that. And, like, even with that Death of Doctor Strange white box, just the way she introduced that character, a character I never really had read as much as that I would want to, maybe seen her in, like, a, a few appearances of a team up here and there, like, but really never read an issue centered on her. Like, just in that issue, like, she really introduced that character in a way that I understand her intentions, her background, and it didn't spend the whole issue doing that. And the same with uh, Lean here. I love how, like, even though he was in the Death of Doctor Strange white box, he wasn't as big of a character. And just in this one issue, I really have a good understanding of the character and where he's going to go. So I really trust Alyssa Wong to be able to do, juggle all those balls and get all of it together. And I think one of the hallmarks of what made this issue so terrific was a timeless sense of fun and wonder. I really felt like there was a 70s action adventure to this. And yet there was still like modernity. She understood how to blend what I wanted from like, it's hard to talk about it sometimes because as a guy who appreciates so much of other cultures art, I sometimes feel like the version I like is probably problematic, right? And so the last thing we need is another white savior Kung Fu story. And I love so many of the elements from the 1970s comics that have nothing to do with the white people, except all the white people that made. And so it's... It's so hard to talk about eras that I love without being like, yeah, but I know they're problematic. And so that's not me being like, no, I love them. I know they're problematic, but I love them. It's more like, I love them, but I know they're problematic. And I feel like Alyssa Wong gave me a gift in this Iron Fist number one by finding a balance of the things I love about that 70s retro pastiche blended with a sense of clean modernity and honesty. And I felt like that was very much set right off the bat with it being facing a demon. I feel like one of the gritty 70s-ifications of so many street-level heroes, Iron Fist, Daredevil, they're always fighting quote-unquote ninjas. And the quote-unquote ninjas always turn to smoke when you stab them, you know? And I love the hand more than most people do. It's unacceptable, right? I am the hand that is masturbating it. You know what I mean? But God damn it. The problem is oh that that's not that's not right. It's just not appropriate storytelling anymore. And Alyssa Wong managed to give me what felt very much like an Iron Fist story without asking me to sacrifice the story conventions that make Iron Fist great, but make true representation great. I would love to know how you guys felt about the introduction into this new world of Iron Fist through this dual Iron Fist story where we get somehow even hotter Iron Fist than Orson Randall, which makes no sense. This artist, for the first time, this is the first time I've ever found Danny Rand actually kind of cute or hot in the slightest bit like so i'm like fuck yeah with this artist yes you know nico i think you make a really good point insofar as with all of the perspective we have now we know a lot of stuff that we loved is problematic and there's no way to sort of say like let's get back to that or let's do more of that but we also i mean we can't say even if we no longer even like it we can't say at one point that we didn't love it like we can't retcon that there was a point at which 
which a lot of this stuff was really exciting and new to us. And then we learned better and we have to, in a way, let it go. But yeah, what Alyssa Wong really did here was say, we are definitely moving on, but I'm not going to act like none of this happened and I'm going to salvage the good parts from it. And I think even the presence of Danny Rand in the story and the way that he functions really speaks to that. I'm excited for a, a possible future for Danny Rand. He can be a great character. I mean, his relationship with Luke Cage is still really important and still needs to be there. He just needs to be a different hero. He's got a lot of knowledge and training, so he should be fighting. He should be doing martial arts. He just shouldn't be Iron Fist. And so between really giving us a good piece of story in which we see exactly that, he is not Iron Fist. He has all the knowledge and all the fighting skills, but you know he's not in the costume. And then for Lean to show up in a gorgeous new Iron Fist costume and to sort of have that repartee with Danny where, you know, Danny's like, oh, I, I remember that thing. I know this. And Lean is sort of a little bit out of his depth, given everything that he's got going on right now. For an issue one, especially, it's a very strong statement in terms of like, this is what this book is. This is what it's trying to do. And it's going to succeed at it. This was a really great passing of the torch. And I hope that's what this miniseries does. I hope that Danny Rand's inclusion in the series doesn't end up to him being a further white savior trope. But I, I trust Alyssa Wong not to do that with it. I really do like the idea of Danny being supportive of you know him moving on carrying on the mantle Danny finding his own identity as his own he can still be a hero for hire like like we've all been saying but like you know definitely time to move on from Iron Fist when I was struggling with mental illness and emotional difficulty I had Matt Fraction's work to lean on and when I think about works like that it's Immortal Iron Fist and it just if I read it in that vacuum it still gets to have that meaning to me but culturally no matter how much Danny Rand the Iron Fist means to me the world doesn't need more of it and that's like that's when it's okay to be like man that was my hero then and I look forward to being part of the change now so that somebody else gets to have a hero because I still have that omnibus I can still crack that motherfucker open it's 20 issues it's still there for me and this was a really better handoff than I could have hoped for hat hands so (laughs) now this is not the first time we've seen Iron Fist teamed up. Of course, I would think the most quintessential team up in Iron Fist history is Iron Fist and Misty Knight. I'm a big Misty Knight fan, but I do recognize that perhaps Luke is the better known part of this. How did you guys feel about separating Iron Fist from Luke Cage? This isn't the first time. Of course, they both had solo series and just about 10 years ago in Shadowland, Iron Fist teamed up with a young power man who's still running around the Marvel Universe being badass. So how did you guys feel about this reinterpretation of Iron Fist team up man what i like to affectionately dub their relationship right now it's the very much rom-com luke cage is the married guy he's got a wife he's got a kid and danny's his best friend from a long time ago who's still single and you know running around being being single and kind of just there and they're at two separate points in their personal lives. Luke Cage has a lot to do as a family man. <laughs> I, I feel like he's. it's really nice of him to make time during the day to go have lunch with Danny. But also, he's got responsibilities. Danny, stop keeping him waiting. I mean, the other factor as far as Luke Cage goes is it seems pretty apparent from solicits and where Devil's Reign is going that Luke Cage is about to end up being mayor of New York, which leads to some interesting 
interesting possibilities for Danny if we want to start seeing them team up again. I could see it being in a much more advisory capacity in the future, which one I think just could be great and really cool. Who knows? That's speculation. But having this be the book where he can mentor and, you know, have that passing of the torch be more of a process and not just like, you're Iron Fist, I'm out of here, presents some really interesting possibilities for the character. Does Danny have a job or is he one of these rich billionaire heroes? You asked a question in a recording and it was a great question. You asked if there's some sort of competitive relationship between Stark and Richards and Pym. And the truth is the least realistic thing about the Marvel Universe is that the white straight men aren't more competitive. Yep. Like, oh. They constantly talk about their wealth and intelligence ranks and never that nobody ever tries to get up on the other one. You know, so Danny is rich in that way that Iron Man is rich, but there's going to be a hostile takeover. So technically, if you watch Iron Man at like an hour and 36 minutes in, he's poor. But then if you watch it at two hours and six minutes in, he's rich again. Mm. And they do that every movie. So Danny's like, I don't know. Is it part five of the arc? He's poor. Is it part six of the arc again? Damn, boy's got money. So like just it's such a hard thing. Because the sense, like the state of billionaire in the Marvel universe is more unreal than the state of billionaire in the real verse. How are Luke and Danny going to interact in the future? Like, I think that depends a lot on like where Danny is in his life. Is he trying to figure out what life is like when you're not Iron Fist? Like how much of that struggle is like embedded in what's going to happen for him? How much are we going to see of that? Or is he already just sort of like, yeah, like I'm just going to punch people and kick people with out the suit on now where Danny is in his like like stability levels is going to tell us a lot about how Danny is going to behave in this comic We've covered a lot of Alyssa Wong's work on X's for Podcast at this point. We've talked in depth about her Shang-Chi, which is across the Legend of Shang-Chi one-shot, as well as the four-part Marvel Unlimited, Shang-Chi Unlimited, uh, The Flowers Are Coming to Get Ya. It was just a matter of time. Every book gets a Flowers Are Coming to Get Ya. And she, of course, wrote what I think might have been our book of the year so far in White Fox, (laughs) number one. This was the first time I felt like there wasn't a stronger presence of female energy throughout the title and I know they've tried to feminize the Iron Fist before we have had female Iron Fists we had a female Thunderer for a while which was everything to me and I get that but until Maimon came in later in the issue it very much felt like there wasn't a lot of strong women characters that I look forward to from Alyssa which isn't a strike against Alyssa's writing but rather certain a strike against the developmental mythos of the Iron Fist being so preclusive of those sorts of characters having unique agency and roles. I wonder how everybody else felt about one of the strongest, most dynamic voices at Marvel, who's always careful to represent female and non-male perspectives, having a little bit fewer of them here, but by virtue of the story, not, you know, some oversight. This is a number one that has a lot of work to do, makes, makes it very understandable. Again, it's not a strike against Alyssa Wong in any way. The seeds are there enough that it's not something where I'm thinking, oh no, there's not going to be... Like we have on the first page, we have Sparrow who looks pretty badass. And then of course we get Mei Min 
and her family. You know, the best that you can do when you know that a book has to get certain scenes and certain bits of information on page, and by default, they have to be dominantly male because, you know, Danny's a man, Lean is a man. They have to have these conversations. That's a big part of the book. Whatever is left, I think Alyssa put those seeds in. And by writing an amazing book overall, I'm sticking with this one. And I know that those characters and more that I'm not thinking of are going to be there in the next issues. Even though it didn't feature some of these characters heavily, I think the the weight of some of these characters was felt throughout the book. Lynn has been so tied with White Box, especially because of where the story picks up from, that I feel that even though she wasn't in this book, her spirit sort of lingered on the book in a great way, in a good way. I think that even for the lack of those characters, that their spirit was still felt and it didn't suffer as much as you would think it would. And you know they're coming, so. Tori, how did you feel about the balance of male-female energy? One of the things that I know that you are so well-versed in is Daredevil, who Daredevil is a soft, thick boy. It's... It's true. He's just got like these mounds of muscle and he's just such a doughy, soft boy, always looking for a strong woman to tell him where to put his mouth. It's on her boots. And so I find that going to Iron Fist, where there's not quite as much compromise. Iron Fist is like, I am strong no matter what. Whereas Matt is like, I am strong in the real world. Hurt me, mommy. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. a dynamic shift, right? How did it feel entering this other side of the Marvel street level world where the the feminization of the characters isn't quite as readily visible. I think that's a really interesting conversation, particularly as we're talking about Asian males who get demasculinized in the like common media stream. There is a balance of energy to our new Iron Fist. By depowering Danny, you kind of get a, I don't want to say like a removal of masculinity, but the levels of hyper-masculinity are not as high. Having a female voice behind it all really helps to keep the balance and to showcase that there are you know feminine masculine energies in all of us and it just depends on like what we're up to and like what society defines those as for me like it's really interesting this didn't bother me as much with like the fact that there aren't as many women in it that are having lengthy conversations amongst themselves hey we don't have time for that in these 22 pages we gotta book it i think that our characters aren't so masculine that it's jarring that it feels anti-feminine energy which I feel like sometimes a lot of comic books that are very male will sometimes in being so desperately male dominated that it becomes anti not anti-feminist but anti-feminine like you feel you feel othered by the way that they are talking like it's to each preclusive. other yes like you feel like you've just like stepped into the boys club at the at the golf course and you have to be dressed as a man to get through the door like this is a conversation that is happening in a mixed gender space and no one is being kept away from the conversation based upon you know what kind of gender or like energy that they're bringing to this world so like I'm not that bothered by it I think this sets up a lot of really great female characters that are going to be important I feel like we're gonna have some some struggles with female authority we're gonna have support we're gonna you know at some point one 
one of these people is probably going to get damseled pretty hard, but I get the feeling that like it's never going to be to the point where I'm like, ah, yes, time for the girl to be in trouble. Time for the girl to be the hag. Like there's enough female characters in this and there's enough like depth to them that I can already see growing. I don't feel as kept out of this story just because it has so many strong male masculine masculine characters. Hey everybody, Nico here again, and this is certainly the highlight of the episode for me. Alyssa Wong's work came into our overall sphere sometime around Shang-Chi Unlimited, and many of us had already read her work on other titles before that, but X is for Podcast has been a full force nonstop, like super fan of this creator. And I would have put this before the review of the issue, but we reference our review of the issue so much. Like normally I would never not lead with such an amazing interview, with such an incredible Incredible author, and I'm just so excited to be able to talk to someone who's helped shape so many aspects of the Marvel and greater Star Wars universe. A number of her titles include the Iron Fist Volume 6 five-part miniseries that we discussed this episode. She had appearances in titles like Marvel Voices Identity and United States Captain America Number 4. She's had a number of recent one-shots like Death of Doctor Strange White Fox and Extreme Carnage Agony, as well as Arrow 1 through 12, a Story in Carnage Black, White, and Blood number three, the Marvel Future Fight first stories for White Fox and Luna Snow, and team favorites, The Legend of Shang-Chi number one, and Shang-Chi Unlimited on Marvel Unlimited. And of course, my husband Kevo would never let me finish this without mentioning Dr. Afra because he's such a big Star Wars guy. And team member Juancho is also a fan of this run. And it's just such an incredible opportunity to talk to someone whose work has touched so many of us in so many fascinating ways. We love making this show for you three times a week, every week. And this Monday is going to see a very special discussion between Raven and ex-Twitter extraordinaire Andre, probably better known as Talk Nerdy to me, as the two of them run through the recent Marvel Voices special highlighting black voices. And I could not be more proud than to bring that to you guys next week with more amazing content. So until then, please enjoy this amazing interview with the incredible Alyssa Wong. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember... The real Iron Fist is the friends that we made along the way, and we'll see ya. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new X's for Podcast, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram, snicked and along, at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online on Twitter at DazzlerAOA, where I'm doing crazy polls about who knows what, who knows what I'll do next. You should do a poll. <laughs> and it's TK, that's Telford K. Nesis. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. And I'm Tori Sheehan. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at smtori. That's Tori with an I. And I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at peakjonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we so hope you survive this experience just like I am by turning myself into a tree person and being impenetrable. <laughs> 
This is one of my favorite things we get to do. On X's for Podcast, we have fallen madly in love with Shang-Chi in the last year, and that led us to the incredible work of Alyssa Wong, whose body of Marvel material has been all over our airwaves for the last few months, whether it was the death of Doctor Strange White Fox that was probably the surprise A-plus that everybody would not stop raving about, or it was the incredible debut of the recent Iron Fist series. Alyssa's work has been pervasive throughout our airwaves, and we could not be more excited than to welcome her onto the show. Hey, Alyssa, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) We are super excited and we would love to know where our audience can find you right off the bat and what you're currently working on so they can get a sense of, in case they've somehow missed our screaming, just what we're about to jump into. So you can find me on Twitter at Crash Wong. Crash is in kaboosh and then Wong is in my last name. I am currently writing Iron Fist along with Star Wars Dr. Aphra and a handful of other things that I can't tell you about yet. (laughs) That is the best answer in the world, that last part. We here on X's for Podcast have all like unitedly said we are here for Alyssa Wong on X-Men. That's, you know, the banner we are carrying. (laughs) Maybe it's because we're an (laughs) X-Men. It has been so exciting getting to know your work, especially when I said into our group Discord and I said, you know, we have the amazing Alyssa Wong coming on. And one of our contributors was just immediately like, oh, please tell her how excellent Dr. Aphra is. And I would love to know how you got involved with sort of the Marvel Lucasfilm comics machine. My background is actually originally in short fiction, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Greg Pak, who's incredible, read one of my short stories and contacted me and he was like, hey, I'm looking for a co writer for these arrow and wave B stories, like 10 pages each. I love the way you write about family. I love your work. Do you want to co-write these with me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I was super excited about wave because she's Filipina. And I mean, so is my mom. So I was super stoked. And the editor I worked with for that, he also is my editor for Dr. Afra. So yeah, I worked with him on a couple of other things like the future fight first one shots for White Fox, Luna Snow and Crescent and Io. And then he was like, hey, I'm looking for a writer for Dr. Afro, would you would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's how I got involved. It's been so nice. All of the other Star Wars comics writers are, they're just so funny and they're so kind and welcoming. And I found that like the Star Wars comics fandom has also been incredibly kind and welcoming and I appreciate them all so, so much. So much. That is the nicest thing to hear in the world that a fandom was so embracing. I, not to be a fanboy of one thing more than anything, but I Iron Fist is such a divisive topic and he (laughs) is occasionally beyond it's not just problematic because there is clearly a sense of problematic entitlement with the idea that white legacy characters should never have to give up appropriative culture but there is also a sense of yeah but he's a pretty billionaire and he is (laughs) it's such a betrayal And it was not just important that a voice who can speak with authenticity on Asian culture got the character, but something I discussed in our review is the overwhelming sense of hyper-masculine energy with sort of the sense of penetrating the dragon and, you know, the idea of (laughs) this being aggressive. The idea that Marvel was willing to not just right certain wrongs within that by having authentic Asian voices come on, but also to have a woman take hold of the franchise was such a baller move from Marvel. I would love to know how Iron Fist came about for you and what brought you to this character this and this amazing white fox tie-in. 
Iron Fist is a character I've known about for a long time. I think many people who are much more eloquent can speak to some of the things that I definitely have felt and considered. But this Iron Fist, I was thinking about Iron Fist in general because I have a friend who's a huge fan of Iron Fist. And so because of them, I ended up reading Immortal Iron Fist, which was wild. I really enjoyed. So from there, I ended up reading a lot of Iron Fist. Around that same time, in Larry Hama's Heart of the Dragon, Danny Rand voluntarily gives up the power of the Iron Fist and then it ends up going back into an egg. Which I loved so much that you brought up. I thought I was the only person who read it and you made no. me feel really seen. Thank you so much. No, I absolutely read it. I have read a truly stupid amount of Iron Fist and reread it, especially recently. Larry Hama was like, okay, we're going to have Danny, not just like depower Danny, but specifically to have him choose to give his power to somebody else and then pass it back into the dragon's egg where it's sort of incubating and waiting for the next big movement. So so Danny's like, cool, I no longer have the power of the Iron Fist. I'm just a dude and I'm going to finally live a chilled out normal life, right? Of course he doesn't because you don't get to be Iron Fist for so long without and then just say like, oh, I'm not Iron Fist anymore. You're still that same person with all of those experiences. So around this time I'm reading all of this, my editor actually brought this up. He was like, hey, so Danny has given up power of the Iron Fist and we're talking about who we think would be fun to take over that mantle. Like we talked about it a little bit. Eventually the conversation was like, hey, what about Swordmaster? He had a comic, like a Swordmaster comic that was originally uh, Chinese and then Greg Pak localized it, which is how I read it. I have loved Swordmaster deeply and truly from the very, very small role he played in War of the Realms Agents of Atlas. Yes! Yes! I adore Swordmaster. I was like, who's this sulky, moody boy with a big sword? But like perfect dreamy boy eyes. Uh, he's super cute. He's so dreamy. Ugh. He really is. I love that he rolls up. Moody as hell. Big shonen protagonist energy. Then Shang-Chi just knocks him on his ass, which is beautiful. And I love their mentor, tough love relationship. But you know, we talked about Swordmaster potentially becoming the next Iron Fist, which I thought was super exciting. I have in my heart deeply wanted an Asian Iron Fist for so long. Something that comes up too is that Lin Lee is not the first Asian Iron Fist. Like there have been a number of like folks from Kunlun who have been Iron Fists. And considering that it is like the city, like the traditional like guardian of like Kunlun, that's kind of important. Like you have centuries of history and tradition. I feel like in terms of like contemporary Iron Fists, like the only book that I can really think of where we have like an Asian Iron Fist is Immortal Iron Fists by Kari Andrews and Afu Chen. I love Pei so much, but I think Immortal Iron Fists takes place in the future because Pei is still a little kid in the present. For this Iron Fist run, don't count Pei out. She is still around and I love her deeply and truly. Um, but I am very excited to um, give someone else the chance to be Iron Fist after Danny, who in my mind is just like the iconic, the Iron Fist. And it's nice to see him have a chance to grow as someone who doesn't have that. I just want good things for Danny. I hope he lives a nice life. <laughs> I hope he relaxes is really, really my big thing. He's still like a dude who knows a ridiculous amount of martial arts stuff. He's still, you know, Mr. Rand of the billionaire Rand family, right? Just because he has to spend a little bit more time as Danny Rand and not the Iron Fist doesn't mean he's not going to have a great life. I would love to be a billionaire. Side note. <laughs> Interesting hot take. I haven't heard that one before, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, I came 
into this Iron Fist totally blind about what was going to be happening, who was going to end up being the new Iron Fist, basically anything about it. And coming right off of having just absolutely loved Death of Doctor Strange, White Fox, it was such an exciting read. You know, characters that we don't get to see enough of really left us on a cliffhanger. And so picking up Iron Fist and suddenly discovering that's what happened to Swordmaster, it it just got me excited all over again to, one, find out what happens next. But then also, it was such a like a shocking jump from one book to another that I never would have expected were going to be connected. And I wanted to uh, hear a little bit from you about sort of what that choice was, was to put these two titles that would, if you didn't know anything, wouldn't necessarily be associated, and to really write them both in such a way that they're perfect on their own but if you've read them both in that comic book reader way where you're like oh I had both those issues I know what's going on it just becomes so exciting to connect the dots I love secondary characters so characters who don't get a lot of love I just feel this deep affinity for and White Fox is really the first like in some ways she's my first Marvel character the very first comic that I wrote solo was the White Fox future fights first I always call it the White Fox one shot but now there's another one, which is the Death of Doctor Strange one. White Fox is like my first love when I was talking to Tom Groneman, who is my editor for the Death of Doctor Strange White Fox one shot. He was like, I also love White Fox. Let's do a one shot for this event. That'd be super fun. This was exactly around the same time we were talking about who was going to be the next Iron Fist when it was like, what about Swordmaster? I was like, oh, I know him from the Agents of Atlas. You know who else knows him from the Agents of Atlas? White Fox. So (laughs) yeah, let's do it. I want a chance to write this like moody sword boy you know the stars aligned and i was like all right this is gonna lightly become the unofficial prequel to the iron fist series but it also needs to stay primarily white fox's story so how do you take these two things and marry them into a story that feels emotionally satisfying and focused while also secretly setting up something that people don't know is coming in and i had a great time (laughs) you absolutely nailed it yeah (laughs) really even when he's like swords are heavy (laughs) Okay. You're not going to use it much longer, boy. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. Okay. So he's got this like big, like buster sword and I'm really weak. Like my arms are really weak. So I was just like, how do you lift that? It's like as big as you are. The idea of trying to run up a mountain, like with that thing strapped on your back, (laughs) you're instantly like what? Like 150 pounds heavier or something ridiculous. It's so big. It's probably not 150 pounds, but in my brain, it's like a sword as big as a person. So I'm like, probably a person that size weighs 150 pounds. The White Fox one-shot, Death of Doctor Strange, that was so amazing. Like, I didn't know much about the character before, but in reading that, I, like, fell in love, and I went back and read everything I could from it. So, oh my god, thank you so much for writing that. And reading a lot of the stuff you put out, I've seen you use a lot of great secondary characters, which you've talked about, but, like, even related to the X-Men universe, like, in Shang-Chi, we had Deathstrike. In your Wave story, you had Bishop, and you wrote that beautiful Jubilee story in Fearless. What draws you to these characters so much and do you have a character that you would like to write? I always feel this way about this question, which sometimes my friends and I will just ask this question of each other. It's sort of like that, what's your favorite book question, where someone's like, hey, <laughs> what's your favorite book? And you're like, oh shit, I've read books. Oh no, I don't know. <laughs> I actually would really love to write Agony again. I had such a fun time writing her for Extreme Carnage. That was a good issue. Oh, thank you. Her host, Gemma Chan, is a new character. And when I imagine Gemma, I imagine the kind of woman who wakes up at three in the morning to aggressively Peloton for like two hours before work. (laughs) 
Same, same girl. I am that same girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's intense. She is completely fucking done. And now she has the power to do what she really wants to do, which is eat people. <laughs> and really, what, and like, what is more relatable than that? Honestly? Same. I am that same girl. <laughs> <laughs> you just wrote Nico into a comic. Yes. <laughs> I got you. I've loved Symbiotes forever. And I think getting to write Agony and Gemma and their relationship, because I think the relationship is very good, honestly. Like, I think it's it's a very loving, like, you're the only person who really gets me. Like, this is a cross between having a very weird, gooey pet and, like, a really cool monster that lives inside you. Like, I don't know. I would love to write that again. I think it'd be super fun. Awesome. Yes. You've stepped into so many huge franchises between Marvel and Star Wars and things. What would you say to someone who wants to kind of get onto these stages? How do you marry the idea of these expansive, already so well-known worlds with telling intimate, smaller stories where characters that you know so well as superheroes are depowered and taken back to regular life and characters who were very sidelined suddenly become the focus? It always starts with characters. Character. If there is somebody that you really have strong inclinations for as a writer, or if there's certain shapes of stories that you really like, whether it's I like found family stories, or I like revenge stories, or you know, anything like that, side note, Extreme Carnage Agony is both of those things, then <laughs> I think that that's where you always start. I wrote a lot of fanfic when I was in middle school and high school, a little bit in college, but then I ran out of time. My favorite trick with fanfic is being like, here's the world, here's what we know, here's what we've explored. What do the core that we haven't seen look like? Where can you find like spaces in the margins to tell really interesting stories based on like one or two, maybe three data points that we've seen? Side note, this is also why I think The Mandalorian is really incredible. It's just a story about people being people, a very exhausted single dad trying his best in a world that wants to eat him up. I guess my advice for people who want to get into like storytelling in those big franchises is like, I assume at that point you're a fan or else why would you want to write in whatever those franchises franchises are. But think about what you fell in love with the first time. And then think about what made you fall in love the second time and the third time and what you can't stop thinking about when you're like, I love this thing. I love this so much. And I think you're going to find the spark of your story in there somewhere. When I was working on Overwatch, I love villains and I love messy exes. I love those stories of people who are torn between the obligations that they've taken on and the things that they feel and the bad ideas that they really want to give into. So I got to write that for Overwatch and I've gotten to write stuff like that a couple of times for like Marvel and DC and I've definitely written that a lot for Afro. <laughs> so... <laughs> So are you going to like drop us your fanfic deets? Like where can we find you? Oh god, no, don't look, don't look. What is actually very funny is I was recently thinking back on stuff that I written back when I was in like middle school and just free writing and I would give it to my English teacher and he would like read it and he would mark it up and he'd tell me like what was good, what didn't work, stuff like that. All in like his own thing and I was like that was really cool. And I'm looking back, I'm like I really just wrote and gave this teacher Kingdom Hearts fanfiction <laughs> without telling him. I fully filed the numbers off of like a Buffy fanfic that I wrote and turned it in for yeah. an assignment. Absolutely. I have non-conned people into fanfic. Yeah. I would not want my original like, grade school writing stuff coming out because I think I wrote a fanfic of Star Trek and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. yes. Glorious. Oh my god. One of my students tried this with me once. I was teaching because uh, I was in grad school. Someone turned in a very thinly veiled Stardew Valley fanfic. Oh and by lightly veiled, <laughs> no. I mean imagine he like took all of the names of 
of everybody, wrote them in a wheel, and then, like, rotated them two spaces. So (laughs) the names were still the same, but it was, like, different people. And I was like, oh, buddy, you are so unlucky, because if you'd given this to anybody other than me in this department, they would not have got you. (laughs) And I gave him an A on that. I was like, this is so ballsy. Like, I think it's hilarious. But I do these critiques in class, and I, I did have a moment where I was like, you know, this reminds me. This is so reminiscent of all of those like farming life simulators that I, I used to play, Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley. And I looked him dead in the eye and I saw all the color drain out of his face and it was so good. Oh, that is perfection. It's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> in writing Star Wars versus, you know, your tra- like Iron Fist and the other superhero comics, is there a difference in your writing style that you have to approach when it comes to these stories? Because they are like vastly different sets. Settings. There are different rules within their universes that you get to play with. Is there anything about writing these two, you know, sci-fi versus traditional superhero comics in your writing that you have to change up that you notice there's a difference in? Or is it, you know, like that? I think that the actual differences are less the cosmetic differences. You know, whether or not we use holopads or like cool, like floating, like hologram interfaces versus like the very clunky retro futurist type devices and stuff like that. And I think it all boils down, again, to character. Who am I writing? What do they want? What do they love? And I have that. I just stick my little claws in there and just pull them apart and see if I can find where does that lead me story-wise. So stylistically, the way I write Afra is very different from the way I'd write Shang-Chi, you know, who is truly, in my opinion, the goodest boy, like the... Yes. Uh, <laughs> He's a golden retriever. <laughs> he is. He's doing his... He's probably the most like classic, lawful, good kind of character that I've ever written. Everybody else is a little bit more grungy and a little bit more messy and ugly in a good way. I love Shang-Chi. Don't get me wrong. But I think because of that, the tone of the story is going to be very different. I find myself like sort of leaning more into like a classic superhero narrative for Shang-Chi as opposed to even this Iron Fist run is going to be different because, you know, the way Lin Lee thinks about, you know, rules and duty, specifically duty and tradition, there's some similarities, but going to be pretty different from Shang-Chi. And then with Afro, rules are just out the window. So because of that, with Afro, I get to lean into the lawlessness uh, and sort of like Wild West slash underhanded criminal underbelly slash oppressive regime of the Star Wars universe, right? You get to get down and dirty and find those places where scum and villainy like to live and where they thrive. That's so specific but again it was cracking after open and being like oh these are the things that make you tick how do i chase that in a way that feels good for the setting and how do i pull on the details i know from loving star wars and the things that speak to me about star wars and how do i pull that all together into one story that feels very organic to this one character specifically that was a long answer but that's how it works for me every time you raise some really beautiful and like excellent points about you know it is like a common trope that people that you know we talk about it. we love villains and I think when it comes to villainry and not goodliness, there's a lot of interesting things you can do with that kind of character. And it's not to say that characters like Shang-Chi, who are the lawful good boys, who are just very sweet and do everything that's right. But I think that there's a, a different kind of love and a different kind of interest for people when it comes to characters that aren't doing the wrong, wrong thing. Because I think sometimes people secretly wish they're like, ooh, I don't want to do the right thing sometimes. Let me see somebody <laughs> else do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. It's funny. I think I love to write characters who have like messy family dynamics and relationships and Shang-Chi is like the quintessential one, right? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love what what Jean is doing with him. I, I just think I don't know. I feel like Jean Luen Yang is like the perfect person to write Shang Chi. Honestly. Oh, we're really big fans of that run. I I love all the siblings. <laughs> yes. I am obsessed with them. <laughs> yes, Sister Dagger's where it's at though. Like. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. <laughs> my perfect child. I love her. I love to see people be messy. I thought writing lawful good characters was super boring, which is kind of a problem if you're working on something like Overwatch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I realized uh, the White Fox Death of Doctor Strange one shot touches on this a little bit. Like no one's good. Like no one's just good. Every time someone is like, I'm going to do the right thing, they have to decide to do it. There's a line in the Death of Doctor Strange White Fox one shot where Swordmaster is opening up to White Fox about about how he's like, I feel like a fraud. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. This magic sword turned up out of nowhere. And I guess now I have to save the world. Like, I feel like I'm just pretending to be a hero. I don't feel like a hero. And she's like, heroism, it's a process. It's not an identity, right? So I found that the trick that I found, specifically for me, writing lawful good characters, is that they have to choose every single time to be good and to, like, stick to the rules. And I want to make every time they do that be super painful. Every single time has to be like, well, fuck, like, what am I gonna do? (laughs) Maybe other people with more inclination towards lawful good type characters who love that stuff. Like, I think it would be a lot easier for them. But for me, it's very difficult to write. (laughs) I'm very interested in the fact that we have a Nebula Award winner on here with us. We have a finalist on the Shirley Jackson Awards, on the Hugo Awards, on so many things for your short stories. And then you get into Overwatch and then you get into comics. You're doing all of these things. The idea that the masses have of a novelist is a very isolated singular person working on a creative story how do you take that and then spread it out into something like video games or like comic books that is such a team creation is it like loosening up is it a is it a freeing of yourself is it an exception like what's that like for you coming from that novel writing background i love working collaboratively i think that was the thing that really drew me to video games you have your team you have all these people making stuff just bouncing off of each other's ideas like you're always in contact with and like connected to other people which I find very appealing especially because I find prose writing a very isolating sort of task when I'm going hard with short fiction I don't remember anything that's happening in the real world like I just go way into my head and don't come back out until I'm done which works better for short fiction than it does for novels because it takes so much longer to write a novel and I can't I can't afford to be that maladjusted for for that long <laughs> <laughs> just unsync um, from reality for two months no big deal it's a book yeah i'm i'm out you come back out and you're like what happened i've had that on a very small level but with like with video games it's such a dynamic environment because everyone is constantly creating things that are constantly evolving and changing until you figure out what the hell the video game is that you're trying to make and how to make it work it's a living puzzle which i love comics gives me something very similar but with a much smaller team which i also really like whenever i write a script for a comic i start writing it for people specific people depending on the editor i'm working with Penny and the artist I'm working with. Do they get my jokes? Do they appreciate a lot of detail and reference images? Do they prefer a more like bare bones, like sort of vibes forward kind of script that gives them a lot of room to play? Or do they want very specific shots, like shot by shot by shot, camera angle, camera angle? It's so individual, but I feel like each of my scripts is designed to be like a letter and an invitation to play for everybody that I work with. That's what I love about writing comics.
projects because I get to invite other people in and then see what they can make from the stuff that I've laid down and how they make it so much better. It's just so magical. If somebody's a fan of your current comic works, what of your other works would you want them to try to visit? Would you want them to try to get into? If you want to read something that is fun and kind of gnarly, I would recommend my short story, Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers, a very long title, but it is what it is. Probably if you Google my name and then Hungry, it'll probably pop up, which it's a story that I like to pitch as it's about a girl trying to find love and happiness and dinner in the big city. What it is actually about is a young woman who eats the dudes she meets on her dating apps and absorbs their essence and their horrifying thoughts and that's what she has to do to survive. Also, I think it's hilarious, but I don't know if other people think it's hilarious. Oh that just that synapsis? Yeah, I'm gonna buy that right now. <laughs> girl, oh I am that girl. Stay here. <laughs> Well, it is, it is available for free online, so you could probably Ooh. Google it. If you want to read something that is extremely stressful and very, like, feelings forward, I have a short story, also available online for free, called A Fist of Permutations in Lightning and Wildflowers, which, again, is a long title. It should be on Tor.com. I am going to throw out a content warning for violence and transphobia, but not from the main character. It's, like, something that, like, a character is dealing with. It is very intense and very harrowing so if you're looking for a good time that's probably not it but if you want to read something that is very very literary and wild and will probably fuck you up for a few days that is what i would recommend I don't know if my story, The Fisher Queen, which is my very, very, very first short story, is available online, but that's the one that got me attention. It's the very first short story I published, but also the very first one that attracted like awards attention and got me nominations for pretty much all of the major sci-fi fantasy awards. And that is about the dark secrets of the mermaid fishing industry on the Mekong River. So yeah, that, those are my recommendations for short fiction. Oh my god, those all sound like really magical worlds. Yeah, I'm looking for all of them, right? <laughs> No, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Award winners. So many of them. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> I was telling Nico that I wanted to start getting in Strong Chi, and Nico did what Nico does, which is send me this enormous read order and a bunch of books to read. <laughs> I unfortunately think Alyssa is already familiar with <laughs> <laughs> So I went through the Brothers and Sisters Infinity comic, which I absolutely loved. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's such a good introduction to those characters, but it is incredibly intense. Mm -hmm. And your Infinity comic was such a good like breath of just like superhero fun and fresh air. And I just have to gush about this. The first thing I thought was this should be the next Shang-Chi movie. This is the perfect movie plot perfect oh villains we get to put white fox into the mcu dr jill sent me him is just so good and we have a female villain i mean i was just me like too. it was such a like this is like the the perfect action adventure superhero story so first i just want to say that i just want to gush about that for a second <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask about what it's like writing for an Infinity comic. If there's sort of a different state of mind you get into when you're thinking about the art and the flow of the story. Marvel's been producing so many of them and they just keep getting better. And this is such a stark example of why people shouldn't count these out or treat them like they're, you know, separate from the other comics that you can read. I mean, it's just such an elevation of what you can do with the medium on a screen. Yeah, I love 
love Vertical Comics, Infinity Comics. I think they're so fun. And basically, I think the big thing that I learned from doing the Shang-Chi one was that you can get really weird with the panels and you don't have to stay in them. So if you look at like a screen, right, which I guess would be the equivalent of a comic page, but like really it's like one sort of long scroll motion. I was like, I'm thinking of each of these panels as a separate image, but actually what I should be thinking of is this whole long, 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 long screen as one image. And what can you do with that much vertical space? Nathan did the art for that. He was great. He got to really play with all of the, you know, with height, with weird angles, with different dimensions. There's this incredible shot of Shang-Chi and White Fox and Leica running down a hallway, like top down, and you get to see all of the like beat up dudes that they've left in their wake. I think that you can just get really playful and fun with it, which is something I love. And I like getting to see how people get to like experiment with like fighting choreography. You can do really slick action scenes, or if you really want space, like emotional, emotional beats that feel long and tense, you can play with that with the placement of your panels and how much space you have to scroll down in order to get there, which you don't actually get to do with like, you know, your, I guess, standard nor normal comic books. <laughs> I always think about like a page as like an impression, you know, what is the emotional arc of each page? How do I want you to feel by the time you reach the end of it, just based on the beats and the moments that we, we see. And I think playing with the vertical infinity comic format, you can really control like not only what people see, but the pace at which they see it, which is really cool. I love that perspective. That's been a huge part of why we've covered so many of the infinity comics and not like I didn't remember your work clearly, but until you mentioned White Fox being in that again. I'd almost missed your secret White Fox agenda. <laughs> that you've been just positioning her everywhere. Me. Right, same. <laughs> I really hope Marvel does a White Fox by you kind of hardcover because there's just such a wealth of characters that that draws together in a really interesting way. And it's sort of in that way that like drawing things together, we're all kind of united by certain core emotional touchstones in our lives. For several of us, it's stuff like Tori Amos. For a number of us, it's certain video games. Like I know that for me, if you're, if someone's asking me, you know, to define my sort of biggest fandom influences, I think think it's Tori Amos, the world of Final Fantasy, and probably Daredevil. And I was wondering Ooh. if you had some major hallmarks that really define you as a creator, whether, you know, it's in an industry that you work in or not, or if like, you know, life goes on, Patti Lapone's performance on that show just really impacted you, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, this is such a good question. So I would say one thing that I always end up coming back to, I played a lot of Fire Emblem, like so much Fire Emblem. I feel yes. like oh my god <laughs> okay oh my god oh, okay oh yeah Sorry. no i love it it's so I good needed, i needed a minute <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, no, but it's so real, it's so good. So for sure that. There's actually the game uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Oh my god, oh my god, you just said the most magic words in the so <laughs> in the snowball fight and like oh you just want to help Marsh. Oh, oh my, my god. god. And I played it on my little black GBASP. You just said everything that means mm -hmm. so much to me. Sorry, I'll calm down now. No, I wrote so much fan so <laughs> I wrote so much fanfic for that. It was so good. So much fanfic to that. 
Oh my God. I think one of the things that blew my teeny tiny mind at the time was that everyone has really good intentions in that game. And, you know, you as your as the lead character, you also have very good intentions. The world has been has been changed and you just want to go home. But in order because you're like, I miss being home. And everyone's like, but everything's better here. And you're like, yeah, but it's not real. The idea that in order to have to get what you want, you have to destroy your friend's dreams one by one over and over is just horrifying. It's so good. And it absolutely impacted the way I think about like character choice and the kinds of stories I like. Jonah and I have watched each other play Tactics Advanced and Fire Emblem in bed. Like, oh my god! So that is, I mean, you're just you're you're singing my song right now. I mean, Tactics <laughs> Advanced is such a specific piece of fandom. It's such a moment in time that, like, the fact that that even impacted anybody else in the world, let alone a writer, I so appreciate and like respect. It's just like <laughs> what a mind blowing moment for me. You don't even know. It's it's funny because like when people talk about about Final Fantasy, that's not ever one that they bring up, and for me that is like that is the one for me that is like the story of my heart that if I had to pick anything and only one thing it would be that I can't even tell like I thought I was asking you a question that was like she's gonna say she really liked season three of friends but like (laughs) you know the answer was a really underappreciated video game that nobody else has ever heard of except me that uh (laughs) means the world to me everyone's like oh I want a tactics re-release I'm like yo where's tactics advance I know seriously where is tactics advance like that's if I think about the games I really want to go back and play I really want to play that again I just do it's just so good I also I don't know if you played Shadow Hearts but that's another one that it's just unfair that that and Kudelka don't have a studio right now I'm just saying oh man oh it's so sad You've talked about your writing background and the things that you were into before you got into comics. Were you a comics reader before you started writing comics? Are, are there any like specific runs that you think of and you're like, yes, those are my runs. This is like, this defines me. Oh, man. Oh, this is such a good question. And it's funny because I know the right answer, but it's not the true answer. So the answer is both yes and no. I came to Western comics very late, pretty much started reading them maybe like a little bit at a time, mostly on Tumblr, right before I started working in them. But before that, I read a ton of manga, so much manga, anything I could get my hands on. So I think about like the the manga that influenced me, read a lot of shonen, read a lot of seinen. I have this deep love of Degray Man, even though I know Ever actually well, finished it? Yeah. <laughs> people, people, okay. I like people, like not. I don't think enough people know about D. Gray Man. I really don't. It's so good. But like, it it is so well done that like I don't I don't understand how it's not more popular. Yeah, it's so it's so gnarly and it's so beautiful and you know the characters are so they're so fun and lovely and, and messy. I I don't know. Like D. Gray Man is just it's just beautiful. But yeah, so actually I guess that is sort of my answer to your question. I think. D. Grayman is probably like that like defining manga for me. As for hmm, contemporary comics, this one's so hard, but I really do love War of the Realms Agents of Atlas. It's less like whole runs of stuff and it's more like brief individual moments from them. It's really hard for me to pick because I think that there are a lot of, there's so many really great people working on comics right now and I find myself blown away by so much. <laughs> so it's really hard for me to pick one, but I think in terms of like folks who's writing I just adore. Uh, Mariko Tamaki is like my favorite. The goat. I love Greg Pak's work, which I'm sure is no surprise to anybody here. Hmm. I mean, he gave us gay Wolverine and Hercules. So for the rest of time, it doesn't matter what he does. He could be like, I don't like your mom. And I'd be like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the best Dazzler ever. So yeah. 
I love the idea of like specific comic moments too, because I think not everybody remembers runs holistically, but they will remember the really big moments and they'll remember the impactful things to take away from those runs. And those parts can be really special, even if the entire run was different or you're not, you don't even haven't finished a run itself. I think there's a lot of power in that itself. So great answer. You don't have to worry. Oh, I'm a dingus and I forgot. I actually, I mean, I remembered as you were talking about that because that makes so, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. I just, I'm in love with Kieran Gillen's stuff. Like, it's just so good. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. I think that actually there were a handful of comics that hooked me and I was like, oh, wait, actually, no, I'm super into this. One was a graphic novel by Mariko Tamaki called Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me, which is fantastic for, I guess, not (laughs) not graphic novels, The Wicked and The Divine, 100%. Ooh, yeah. If I may, if you enjoyed that, you might enjoy Phonogram a lot as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. It's like a proto work, but it's all done through the lens of interpolation of popular culture through music as magic personified. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That sounds really fun. So I, I can't like I want to be like so Alyssa, like you know, <laughs> I know, like like my brain right now is like so Alyssa. You got any uh, more novel ideas inside of you? You're gonna get back yeah. into the book business. <laughs> <laughs> so easy to be super conversational with you and you know meeting someone who's like you know a hero for you like you know you're doing the thing you're writing and you're creating work that's so clearly impacting people we have titles that we have trouble finishing coverage on because people drop the book over time but what's so exciting is every time somebody winds up on one of your titles they say oh I didn't realize this was Alyssa I'm stoked and like it's been so rewarding as a show producer to have a writer whose work means so much to our crew and so you know i want to thank you for being so conversational and so easygoing and it's (laughs) it's just really nice thank you thank you for like having such strong like female and queer presence in your stories too like i mean that's that's where my heart lives you know it wasn't something that i got to see a lot growing up my media was actually very restricted so i like missed a big chunk of pop culture until i hit like college but you know i always found myself wanting more i was like where are my queer kids stories you know where are my stories about girls that don't have the mandatory like saturday morning cartoon episode where it's like girls can't do things and then a girl's like but i can look at me kick ass and then they're like oh i guess girls can do things like just show me girls doing cool things that's all i want you know i just love writing women i love getting the chance to write queer characters because it's sad but it's still kind of hard to convince people sometimes i've had no problems with marvel which has been fantastic and no problems with dc but like I I still think that I have pitched stories before and they were like, we can't do that for other stuff. I'm just like, you know, it's 2022. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but it shouldn't be this fucking hard anymore. So I'm always really grateful when when other people are able to make it and I can read their stuff and be like, hell yeah, queer characters. Hell yeah, women. Hell yeah, non-binary characters. Fuck yeah. I think that, you know, in terms of Star Wars, Lucasfilm has been fantastic about it. I'm just waiting. Like, maybe it's just bad experiences before, but I'm always like, when are they going to pull the plug on me? But they have been so open and excited about like everything I've pitched. And it's, I don't know, it's just such an honor, I think. And I want that. I want it to be that fucking easy for everybody who wants to tell stories about queer characters. I think if I was like, if I could have one thing that I really, I really want for like the future of comics and storytelling is I just want more queer. Can we please have more queer creators on the teams, more queer characters, more queer actors, like everything. So that's, that's my wish, I guess. <laughs> 
I love it. You know, yeah, seriously, if you want to be comics older sister that beats people up for it, like that would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm lucky enough to be part of the upcoming Young Men in Love collection. That's getting a weird amount of press. It's really exciting. But like my next big credit is about just being queer in comics to be queer in comics. Ooh. So it's just so rewarding to hear you say that. Can I ask you guys a question too? Yeah. Oh my God, yes. Okay. So you asked me earlier if there was anyone I really wanted to write, and I actually have another person I was thinking of, but the question I want to ask you is, if you could see me write one character, who would you pick? Quentin Quire. Ooh. I, I was ready. I'm good. Quentin Quire. <laughs> I really think you would shine with Karma, because like she's queer, Asian, and a strong woman, so like I think <laughs> I have a selfish answer, then I have like an actual answer, so my actual answer, I think I would love to see Silk under your voice. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Silk forever. I love Silk. Silk. She's like up there with was one of my favorite spiders, spiders S characters, so like there. And then my selfish answer is Elsa Bloodstone. I want to see that too. You said that you love characters with messy family drama. And yes. I really feel like you could do a lot for her. Her family's the messiest. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, that's a perfect answer, Jonah. That's so good. I would I would love this. I also think you'd do amazing at Dazzler because you're Luna Snow was amazing and you know same same kind of hot background too so yeah oh Dazzler would be fun the character I thought of which I always forget is my answer I would love to write Loki (gasps) I'm like I don't know who I have to pester to make this happen but I would love I would love to write Loki I think journey into mystery or young Avengers little 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 something That'd be so fun. So I also have two, Emma and Jean. Oh. I want to see them interacting more. And I think you would be perfect to show because so much of them lately has been acknowledging that they're both so strong, but from a distance. And I'd like to see them actually have some of those conversations. I think that would be so fun. I love Emma. She's so powerful. I love her. Oh, we're a bunch of big old Emma fans over here. Not that, not that <laughs> an Emma and Jean fan is mutually exclusive. Uh, ask Nico. But <laughs> oh, I love this. I just want to thank you so much and let you know that you have a standing invitation anytime you drop a book in the Marvel Universe or just want to drop by and say, hey, just tr- think of this as your very own personal Cafe Nervosa. And <laughs> I will gladly be the Frasier to your Niles anytime. <laughs> this was such an incredible pleasure and i i am more enamored of your work than i was before and if you could one more time let everybody know where they can find you and what work just in case they're coming in late yeah sure so you can find me at crash wong on twitter and if you're looking for uh some fun comics to read might i suggest oh star wars dr afro which i'm currently writing things are getting weird and spooky and real fucked up right now so definitely check it out because it's fun I'm all about the weird, spooky, fucked up shit. And I'm also writing Iron Fist. Issue number one just came out. And if you like stories about chronic pain and injury and trying to figure out who you are when the one thing that you wrapped your identity around is now gone, if you're interested in stories like that, also cute people, 10 out of 10, Iron Fist, come get it. (laughs) 
So that's those are the two main things I'm working on. But I have a couple more things cooking, and uh, I hope you like them. Well, oh wait, yeah, sorry, one more thing. Oh, do it, do it. By the way, if you want to read Iron Fist, I would also suggest reading one of my favorite one shots that I've written ever, Death of Doctor Strange, White Fox. You should read it because White Fox is great, and I don't know, it might be relevant to something else you might want to read. I don't know, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can definitely check out our coverage of both of them after you go out and pick them up because that's how Marvel's going to know that you want more awesome Alyssa Wong stories, right? Make sure that you guys are going out there and telling your LCSs that you want to check out Iron Fist and make sure you grab it off the shelves. The interior art as well as the breathtaking Jim Chong covers is just amazing. The art on this book is superb. So whether it's the story, the art, or just giving the character another chance, we definitely recommend you guys check out Iron Fist. And Alyssa, thank you so much so much for coming out and spending this time with us oh well thank you so much for having me 